I'm going to be up front with you guys. I'm not sure where it's going to go today. I spent the, um, the last song bawling my eyes out. Um, and I've, this is one of the topics, not because I am a father of young children, because it has been for a number of years, that is likely to get me emotional. I know it's like a dirty word. Um, but just to give you the heads up, if I pause for an extended period of time, just chat among yourselves. Let me bring it back together and we'll see if we can get through this. But um, good morning. Happy Father's Day. What a season we are in. The past couple of weeks has been um, a roller coaster of church festivals. You might not have clocked it, but it really has been. So a couple of weeks ago it was Pentecost um, and also the Queen's Jubilee. But Pentecost, sorry Queen, more importantly, um, which is the, the moment that we remember the church first receiving the Holy Spirit. It, in many ways it's the moment when we remember the church receiving its DNA what makes it the way it is. Then last week was Trinity Sunday, when we think about how our God is not just one, but three in one. We think about it and we just still don't quite get it, which is no reflection on Lee's sermon, which I recommend you go back and listen to. It's just one of those things that is super hard to grasp. Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today, uh, it may not have escaped your attention, as I've mentioned it several times, as have Ben and Meg, that it is Father's Day. Not traditionally a church holiday, not a festival in the church calendar, but conveniently happens to sit in this sequence of Sundays. How appropriate that it should fall in this season. So this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time um, looking through the Bible, exploring a bit about what God the Father is, what it means for God to be Father, uh, and maybe what that tells us about him, as well as what it means for us. How we can all, men and women alike, parents or not parents, participate in the Father's action on earth today. But before we do that, I was reading around um, this week and I hit upon a little article with some classic verses that you could send to your dad on Father's Day. And I thought, well, what are these verses? And... Um, I include this really for no particularly good reason other than I just thought it was a little bit amusing that um, you might send these to your father and the amount of pressure that that would pile on your dad or potentially um, that your parent might pile on you as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Are we asking that our God forgives us, uh, our Father forgives us for something, perhaps, um, in that one. Or the father of a righteous child has great joy. <laughs> Only send this to a happy father. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Quite presumptuous, I think. Um, your father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, I feel like if I received that from someone who was telling me that they really felt that was the way they felt about me, um, I would be very flattered, but I have a feeling that uh, as a father, I know what I think you need before you ask me for it. Um, and then finally, children are a heritage from the Lord. This really piles the pressure onto the, to the father. Offspring are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. 
I mean, what a blessing it is to have children, particularly me as a child. Um, I just think, so, so they were from Psalm um, 103, Proverbs 23, Matthew 6, Psalm 157. Often we use scripture in our everyday lives to ascribe characteristics of God to us. And it never quite works because God's just so much better at it than we are. Uh, it struck me, and we might come back to it later, um, but we're going to read the Bible for real in a moment. Um, as an aside, sometimes St. Thomas preached through a particular topic. You might remember the sacrament series a couple of weeks ago, um, a little mini-series on that. Hit the podcast for more. Um, but in between those, we tend to follow something called the lectionary, which is basically a bunch of set readings that take you through the Bible over three years that the Church of England uses, but also the church across the world um, uses. Millions of Christians following those readings uh, each Sunday with us. So this morning, as of the last two weeks, we're joining with countless others to look over the same verses. And again, what a happy coincidence, or perhaps God had some purpose in it, that it happens to speak into what it is to be a child of God. So the lectionary reading for today um, is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. And then I have been a little bit cheeky and I've extended it. So we're going all the way through to chapter 4, um, verse 7. Um, so if you can find that either in your big bookie Bible that you brought with you or get Google in it now. And as always, I'll just prattle on for a little bit to give you chance to um, remember. It's, it's chapter 3, verse 23. For those of you like me who are thinking, what did he say? Um, so here we go. Galatians 3.23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying to you is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, all of us have a father whatever state that relationship might be in, we all have one. Many of us will know the joy of having many surrogate fathers, um, dads from across our lives, some formalized like godfathers, and, and there are others that might not even know the fatherly influence that they've had in your life. 
But it'd be odd not to recognize, as, as Ben and Meg already did, that at this point, fathers and fatherhood are, are both topics that hold a massive amount of baggage for pretty much everyone in so many different ways, whether that's hopes of fatherhood not yet fulfilled or painful and difficult experiences of our own fathers, or no experience at all. Our own fathers um, are not God, and it's not always plain sailing. In fact, I think that most of us are more affected by our experience and what we think of dads than we realize. It colors how we interact with God the Father. If we've learned that achievement is the way to please our dads on earth, then we often try to work our way into God's favor. If, for whatever reason, the relationship with our own dad was difficult, it's not unusual to translate some of that experience somehow into our expectations of our Heavenly Father. And that's totally understandable. It makes, it makes complete sense for us to measure one father experience by another father experience. But for today, can I suggest that we just flip it the other way around? Because God is the eternal father. He's the benchmark. He's the one that lends fatherness to others. And we should measure our earthly fathers and our earthly experiences of fathers against Father God, not the other way around. And I say that fully and painfully aware of how short I fall in that standard myself. So, so the Bible, um, open it again if you've lost it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip through it, not literally, um, and I'll throw out kind of verse references from time to time. I'm expecting to see nodding heads as you check down to check that I'm not making it up. Um, but the first few verses here, verse 23 to 25, in, oh, good nodding, I saw that, um, in chapter 3, talk about this idea that the law... Uh, by which it means the, the Jewish um, legal writings, many of which make up the Old Testament um, uh, of our Bible, that was a, a temporary measure to allow humans to have some kind of relationship with God after sin, after the fall, um, after our decision as humanity to go our own way uh, and not to do what God said or wanted, ignoring him. It gave a framework for our humanity to work up to a relationship with God. Um, and as you'll hear again and again us saying here, it, it was never the final solution. Jesus has now dealt with our sin. That's the final solution. The wrong things about us, through faith in him, we are restored and we have a restored relationship with God again. But... That's the law bit that it's talking about. Now, when we get to um, verse 26, when we put our Jesus, our Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we, we realize that we're children of God. Father God becomes not just a member of the Trinity, not just one of three, not just something that other people talk about, but um, our dad, for better or worse, however that makes you feel. We read it here in verse 27 that all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You are now the same as Christ. Believing in Jesus and as such being baptized dresses us up in the same clothes as he has on. We become sons of God and heirs to the Father's estate in verse 29. No matter who we are, 
Verse 28, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, we become sons of the Father. This isn't to suggest that there's no, no gender in church or um, that humanity isn't created male or female. Those distinctions are important, but um, rather it, it makes the point that your status is as a son no matter what it was before. We often read um, gender-inclusive language here in our Bibles, which has a noble purpose, um, and it it removes the word son and replaces it with child. Um, But we need to at least understand what's going on underneath that before we we just read through. Being a child of a father in the culture uh, of the time, that is not significant enough. Now, whether it was just for that to be the case is not something that is really worth debating um, because it's sort of beside the point. It doesn't matter whether it was fair or right or whether it should be the case that you had to be a son. That was the case. So it's important that we recognize that at this time, in this place, in this culture, in this passage, being a son and heir was the prime position and that is what we become. Not just any old child, but the prime position the inheriting son. It's extremely important for us to know that we're not just children of God, but that in a male-dominated world, regardless of whether we are a man or a woman, we're sons. Now, God can use even our corrupt cultural structures, uh, and through them, he brings a level of equality that would be impossible otherwise. Um, And so having said all of that, I will probably still continue to use inclusive language in the rest of the sermon because we know now what it's talking about underneath. But it's important that we know why and we understand. Otherwise, the other bits, when we come to them, don't make sense. So if we flick over into the next chapter, Paul recaps what he said conveniently. And in verses 1 to 3, he describes a time before Jesus as like us having a babysitter like being under 18 and having some access to your inheritance, but only under close supervision and through the action of a guardian. Not really free to stretch our legs. But then we hit verses 4, 5, and 6. They are just the best bit. In verse 4 and 5, Jesus comes. He lives under all the same conditions, all the systems and other things as the rest of humanity but only he manages to fulfill the requirements of the law. Only he manages to please the babysitter properly. He does it in a way that we never could. And in so doing, he wins us adoption as sons. Now that phrase, adoption to sonship, is is actually one Greek word. Um, I never quite know how to pronounce it, but sort of huiothesia, I think, which makes no difference at all to you. Um, But there we go. It refers to a complete and and total change in legal status as a person. You were one thing, now you are totally different. Adoption to sonship is a complete transition. You, You don't have anything left of what you were before. You are now totally a new son of this new father. Any debt that you had is cancelled. 
because everything you had, whether it's negative or positive equity, is transferred to the Father. It belongs to the Father now. So yes, you give all of you, but you also have ownership over the whole of the Father's estate, which gains a whole new level of significance when the Father is God, because I think anyone whether they believe in God or not, can understand the concept of how big God's treasure must be. Having Father God as your dad is the absolute best. Being adopted as full inheriting members of that family is unbelievably amazing, right? Now you are a member of a royal family with full access. And I can see from the stunned faces that this literally is unbelievable. Because we know it, but I'd imagine most of us have a bit of a hard time with it. We have to remind ourselves that um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have to remind ourselves in the aimless and irritating moments of life that God knows the plans he has for us plans to prosper and not to harm us. Even in the good times, we have to remind ourselves that every good and perfect gift comes from above, whether or not we felt like we did actually deserve it. So how do we move from knowing in our heads what it is to be sons, to be children of God, to really knowing it deep in our hearts, feeling it? How do we learn to live, not just in the Father's house, but at home with him? Well, home, it's just the word we use for where the family is, right? Home is defined not by a house or a building, not a place or or even really by a feeling, but instead it's the presence of our family around us. For us then, home is being in the presence of God. In verse 6, we read that because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God's very presence with us in our hearts. In another of Paul's letters, one to the Ephesians, he describes the Holy Spirit as a seal of the promises of God, the guarantee, something that lets us know the truth of it, but not a knowledge in your mind, but a heart knowledge. Helps us to feel the, tr- the truth of it. Um, now, when, when Abby, Abby's my wife, when Abby or I arrive home, our front door chimes, you open it and it beeps. It's extremely irritating. Um, it's useful, but mostly very annoying. But that is normally followed by the scurrying footsteps of children. Um, or craning necks, trying to catch a glimpse of whether that really was daddy or mummy. Did did mummy really just come back? Because they know what the chime means. They know that the door is opened and therefore it's only going to be someone with a key. It's only going to be mum or dad that's come through the door, but they crave an experience of the presence of their parents just as we crave an experience of the presence of our Heavenly Father. We want something to seal the deal for us, so we don't just have to know it. 
Uh, we asked our boys uh, yesterday what they liked about Daddy. It was a dangerous game. Um, it did and went okay. Um, despite the effort that both Abby and I put into feeding and cleaning and clothing uh, and generally looking after the kids, uh, none of those things made the list. Uh, they expertly crafted dens and the perpetually fixed toys didn't feature. Um, now, I know they do like those things, sometimes more than others, um, but, well, I hope they do. But instead of every single thing being about how great we are at doing stuff for them, in fact, every single thing on that list spoke of presence. It doesn't matter what you're doing, just so long as you're fully immersed in us, was the message that came across. Right at the top of the list was big cuddles. I was looking forward to that, R. Um, no hesitation, that was the first thing. He just showered it straight out um, with a big grin on his face. Also featured, though, was he lets me cuddle him. And I thought they liked cuddles, I understood that. And the rough and tumble and the climbing over each other. And, and it's obvious that they're enjoying it, but I hadn't really considered how important the permission to hug me was. The permission to love me back. How much more amazing is it that our Father God gives us that permission? Just like our cuddles or gifts can do nothing other than pale into insignificance next to the embrace of the Father. Yet he still asks for them and receives them graciously. Allows us to experience that reciprocal relationship that's so important. Now, it's not the things that we do or we make or we provide, as good as they are, that actually make any difference in our relationships. Instead, it's primarily the action of being with that informs our experience of someone. I, I couldn't really ask for better material than, than what the boys gave me um, in order to back up my point. Presence is powerful. In one way or another, um, so many of our issues with fathers, with dads, could somehow be put down to a lack of presence. Um, whether it's not being present enough in a particular moment or um, not being present enough with their emotions, not being present enough in the things that you care about, not being present at all. But your heavenly father is the most present, most engaged, best father you could possibly imagine, the wisest, kindest, and all those things you can never think of in the momentist, dad, ever. Just as my boys can't possibly know how... Just how excruciatingly enormous the love that I have for them is. By me just telling them words and assertions. So we desire something more than just head knowledge that we're children of God. When I scoop them up into my arms and I tickle them till they don't know what weighs up and then squish them in a cuddle, they know 
They experience it. As an aside, obviously, it's important to still use words of affirmation, and obviously not everyone wants a hug all the time, um, but there's something about that, right? We all want, we all crave and need the deep understanding of being loved by Father God that causes our very hearts to shriek out, Daddy, or Abba, Father. The very words that Jesus says on the cross the end of verse 6. Where does that deep understanding come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. When we spend time in his presence, which we're about to do sacramentally, we have the assurance and the real experience of being full sons of the Father, children of God. The Spirit cries out from within our hearts, Daddy! And we know, we experience his presence. We have that intimacy in prayer and in worship, but this intimacy has a greater purpose, not just for us to indulge in, but it provides us an assurance of our status as children. It lets us know the things that we knew. Regardless of how well a prayer life is going, how much Bible we read recently, or how we have or haven't been kind to those around us. Because we are no longer slaves, verse 7, to sin. We're no longer bound by the law that convicts us. Instead, all our debts are written off. And we are full members of the family, in line to inherit everything. We're coming into land, don't worry. This full adoption that the passage speaks about, which is such a beautiful picture of how we know love from God, is a powerful choice, and how powerful that choice is. In some ways, I don't have a choice to love my kids. Though it still does, and it should require a decision and a consciousness in me, I didn't make a choice to start loving them unconditionally. I sort of just fell into it. And sometimes we use marriage as a picture of the enormity of the decision to love and the choice to do so unconditionally, but there's a far more powerful image right in front of us. Never let yourself believe that adoption is somehow a second-rate version of relationship. As we read here, adoption, if anything, speaks even more of the love that parents have. In the heavenly sense, we, as adoptive kids of the Father God, are even more daughters and sons than if we'd been in that position all along. So... Let's not just know it, let's experience it. Let's cry out, whether it's in pain or joy, excitement or fear, let's cry out to our Father God, Daddy, as the Spirit moves in us. Um, I'm going to invite the band and Ben and Meg to, to come back up, I presume, unless someone tells me that's a bad idea. Um, and as I do so, while you're sitting... I'd love you to close your eyes.
uh, the only reason to do that is because then you tend to worry less about those around you. I want you to um, just rest now with your eyes closed in the knowledge that the Lord is here. His spirit is with us right now. You may have found this talk painfully difficult to get through. The topic might be too hard to get your heart around or to engage in on an emotional level. But whatever your issues with your earthly father, bring them to your heavenly father now. Just raise them in your mind. There might be difficulties or perceived deficiencies. There might be gems of extreme value, the things you love. Bring them now to God, whether it's good or bad. Father God, would you redefine Father for us now? Would you show us afresh what your embrace is like? Would you, in a totally appropriate way, tickle us until we do not know which way is up? Until the only thing we can conceive of is just how fantastic it is to be doing what we're doing right now with you. Lord, would this be uh, an assurance of our security as inheritors? This be something that enables us to be bold and tell others because of course it's not a closed family. Anyone can be born into it at any time. So come Holy Spirit, cry out in our hearts now.